All right. Well, we are going to attempt bringing to a close our study of Galatians. So if you would open up to Galatians chapter 6 in your Bible with me, Galatians 6, and we're going to look at the closing comments that Paul brings to this church. We've titled our study Verified. It's based on that blue check that different social media platforms will use to say, hey, this is a legit account. This isn't some fake account. This isn't somebody pretending to be somebody they're not. Of course, it's not just a statement of that. It's saying you've, you've arrived, you, you've become influential, you've become somebody that people care about, whether or not that's the real you and not just some egg icon uh, anonymous person, right? Um, verification. There are many opportunities for us to look to that in this world, and Galatians has been leading us to discover them and discover our only hope that is in Christ. We live in, you know, philosophers have called the days we live in the age of authenticity. People, people want to be authentic. They, wanna, they want you to be real, which is being defined as being true to yourself, being the real you. Uh, but the, what's ironic about that is alongside of that, we've just had this multiplication of technology that's allowed for more and more fake to be interacted with in your experience online. Uh, so there, you know, there's talk about fake news. Uh, I saw today there, there was circling a fake uh, Costco coupon for $70, apparently you could have brought that there, but you know, if you showed up with that, they would not have honored that because it was just some fake coupon that you know, got shared over and over again on social media and, and passed around. But we, we seem to have a reality problem now more than ever. A in fact, about 50% of the quote unquote users that are on the internet today are fake. I don't know if you knew this, but about 50% of all web traffic, and so, you know, if, if somebody owns a website, you know, we've got this for our church site, you've got kind of Google Analytics that tells you who showed up and visited your site. Uh, about half of those numbers are not real. They are bots that have been created to do this. And, and you, can, you can purchase that in a number of ways. Apparently, you can purchase 500 uh, YouTube views for 15 bucks. So, any of y'all thinking of opening up a YouTube channel and going famous, I hope you've, you've come with some extra uh, Christmas money to be able to do that. Uh, Instagram estimates that they have lost $1.3 billion in a year due to fake accounts. Because, you know, why, why? E economics lesson for you that I try to remind you guys of every now and then. Uh, when the product is free, you're the product. And so why is Instagram a free thing? Is that, is that just some really generous person wanting to provide a service to 17-year-olds everywhere? Uh, no, they, they want to get ads in front of your eyes. But they want those ads to go in front of your eyes and not in front of some fake bot online. So they, they don't appreciate when they lose uh, the revenue based upon that. Now, it's standard fare whenever you kind of sign up for an account or enter into a website or sign on that you have to prove that you are actually a human being. So one way to do that is by clicking the checkbox that says, I am not a robot. Uh, 
you know, ever thought about the fact that that is a robot asking you to prove that you're not a robot? They just really are taking over everything. And then, and then you know, if, if that's not lame enough, they started doing this thing where you had to, uh, you know, select all the, 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 the squares that have vehicles in it. And then what, what do you do when it overlaps in the image like that? So you've seen memes like this uh, going around. And then eventually, you know, people get really snarky and you have these things show up. Select all the squares with humans. Or try again with Mark Zuckerberg and the mouse is hovering over uh, Skip uh, for, for that one. But we're now at a point where just your web experience means you have to verify through these means that you're an actual human being. We're going to talk about today uh, what verifies that you are real? What verifies that you are a Christian? What, what are the marks of authenticity for Christianity? Because that, that's, that's the big issue that this letter is addressing. What makes us acceptable before God and before one another? And how can we know that we have that? So our text is going to introduce us to what's real versus what's pretense and, and performance. So we're going to read together Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cause of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Right, we're at these closing thoughts from Paul. This is Paul signing off, but he does something a little bit unusual here. You know, he, he asks for the scribe to hand over that reed, that pen that he would write with, and he says, okay, because Paul would normally use uh, a scribe to, to help prepare his letters, and he would dictate to them, but he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sign off myself, and he would often write his own name at the end of his letters, but it's like he's not done yet. There's still something that's on his heart. There's still something that feels urgent. There's still a point that he is to press. And he says, look at these large letters here. Right? This, is, this is Paul's equivalent of texting in all caps. You know, I don't know if you've ever had a text messaging relationship with your grandparents, and they don't always know how to work the caps feature, and so sometimes they're just locked into all caps mode, and it just sounds like they're shouting, I love you! You know, everything is just, it's loud. Uh, Paul knows what he's doing here. He writes in large letters on purpose because 
everything hangs on what he's saying here. And he tells us what counts in the end. Honest question for you. Do you want your life to count? Do you want your life to matter? About 20 years ago, John Piper was preaching for the Passion One Day conference, and it was set up at kind of a festival style, and so you had young people um, seated out on, on the, the lawn and on the hills, and it was everybody there, ages 17 to 24. And it was a windy day, and his notes were flying all over the place as he spoke. But he began by saying this. He said, you don't have to know a lot of things for your life to make a lasting difference in the world, but you do have to know a few things that matter and be willing to live for them and die for them. He said, if, if, if you want your life to count, you don't have to have a, a high IQ or good looks or come from a fine school. You have to know a few unchanging, glorious things and to be set on fire by them. But then he looked at them and he said this, but I know not everybody in this crowd wants your life to make a difference. There are hundreds of you you don't care whether you make a lasting difference for something great. You just want people to like you. If people just liked you, you would be satisfied. Or if you could just have a job and you know, one day a, a decent marriage, a good family, an easy life, a relatively uneventful death, then that's enough. And he said that is a tragedy in the making. Now, Paul has that tone here. Paul gives us a few great things to be set on fire by, and he cuts through what we tend to get caught up in. He says, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but new creation. Right? What do you think matters in life? What do, you, what do you think you need to have or to achieve? What are you hearing from the people around you or from the, the culture let, 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 me, let me say something that ought to be obvious to all of us. If it doesn't matter to God, it doesn't matter. I don't care who it impresses now, how many retweets it gets, whatever advantages you think it brings you here and now, if it doesn't matter when this life is over, it doesn't matter. God's opinion, God's evaluation is the only one that will have lasting significance. And Paul's writing to an audience that had turned their attention away from God's approval and look, began looking to humanities. And he, he exposes that motive here, right? Despite how religious they sounded, how much they made it sound like they were wanting to obey God, when it came to circumcision, th this was really about serving themselves. It was all about what groups they wanted to be included in, what, what they cared about, what made them feel like they were somebody in this world. And so he says in verse 12 that they, they wanted to make a good showing in the flesh to keep up appearances. Right? So this wasn't a sincere heart for God. This was all a show. 
those who trusted in circumcision, they ultimately weren't wanting to honor God, but to look good and to be liked, to have the approval of the crowds that they respected, which they happened to be located in Jerusalem. We have our own, and, and they feared losing this because the, the flip side of craving human praise is fearing human rejection. And Paul says they, they wanted to escape being persecuted for the cross. They didn't want to look weird. They didn't want to be strange and out of step with what was applauded by the world around them. And, and, and you know whether that's adding circumcision to the gospel or that's adding the LGBT rainbow onto your profile, right? It will subscribe to the blue check of the day if that's what's most accept, if that brings us acceptance in this world. But Paul tells the Galatians, you're, you're being used. They, they just boast in your flesh. Right? I know that sounds weird. A, a lot in this, this paragraph is not the way that we talk today. But he's saying you, you, you're letting them do that because you like the sense of importance that it gives you. And we, we know these heart dynamics as well. It's not very different from what we face. The, the, the false teachers here, they're called the Judaizers, they, they had their own agenda, and, and the Galatians were willing to change who they were and to comply with that. And Paul wants them to see that they were exchanging Christ in order to fit in. Right, this is what you need to see here. What you boast in will control you. It always will. It will change you. It will put you at odds with people that you should be walking with. And, and on the other hand, it will cause you to be partnered up with people that you, you have no business belonging with. Now, boasting doesn't mean bragging here. It doesn't mean somebody who's got like a over-the-top Donald Trump-type personality always selling you know, their own press. Uh, but th this is about what gives you a sense of confidence and security. And, and that's what you'll fight to protect. Where, where for you does it matter that you would make a good showing? What are the categories where you want to show up in them and you want to look good? You want to be impressive. And so you protect that territory. And if somebody gets in the way of that, if somebody seems to threaten that, you might be willing to fight for it. Right? If, you, if you boast in your intelligence and in being the one who makes the good grades, then when you find yourself in a hard class, all of a sudden, that, that feels threatened. And so maybe you're tempted to cheat in order to protect that image because you don't want to be the one in the class who's not keeping up with everybody else. If you boast in your appearance, then whether you'll get around other people will be based in how you look, right? Whether it's a good day for your hair or for your skin, whether you have the right clothes. Maybe you'll go to war with your parents about what you're allowed to wear because you're, you're afraid you'll be the only person in the crowd who's not dressed a certain way. Right? This will move you towards certain things and move you away from other things. And, and this doesn't have to be about bad stuff only, right? Th this letter is written to a people who are finding their confidence and their security in their own moral goodness. 
Some of you get into conflict with your parents because you can't handle being wrong. You boast in being right. And so you will dispute every detail before admitting that you messed up or that you sinned. And, and, and these are, for both you and for your parents, the, these are miserable and dragged out exchanges. It, it could have ended 30 minutes ago if you hadn't been clinging with everything inside of you to your rightness. You don't want to be adjusted. And why is that? Your confidence is in the flesh. You won't abandon your boast that you're a good kid. Right? And, and flesh, it, it just means human effort. It's the stuff that you can accomplish. It's what you can get done by yourself without the Holy Spirit. And to a people impressed with circumcision, Paul tells them that cutting the flesh is easy. It's easy to adjust the outside of your body, but cutting your heart is something else entirely. And by the way, that's what circumcision was designed to point to. God was always telling his people in the Old Testament, circumcise your heart. Cut inside what needs to be removed. And it's striking, and in verse 17, it's, it's, it's like Paul says, hey, you, you, you want to compare marks on our body? You want, you want to look at cuts that we've experienced? Because if you were to observe the Apostle Paul taking off his shirt, I don't know why you'd be in that kind of situation, but let's just say you're there. Maybe it's at the Galatian church swimming party. I don't know. Uh, and, and you would caught a glimpse of his back, you would have seen scars and knots from the beatings that he received, from the ways that he was stoned and left for bed, for, for, not for bed, he <laughs> wanted to sleep at that point, I'm sure, probably stayed in bed for weeks after this event. He says, I, I, I received twice the 40 lashes minus one. 40 was what you would do if you were going to beat somebody to death. And so they're like, eh, we'll spare you one and give you 39 instead. He bore in his body his suffering for Jesus. You would be able to observe what it cost him to follow Christ. The Judaizers thought they were special because they had circumcision, but their body was unscarred. Paul was being beaten and stoned because of his hope in Christ. They were taking a safe route, they were teaching a safe gospel devoid of the offense of the cross, the kind of gospel that people want to be, that people want to hear because it celebrates their accomplishments. And Paul was teaching a gospel that was an assault on human pride that tells you you can't get your life together at all. There, there can't be one percent of your activity in this deal or the deal is done. Because the 1% you have to offer is staying straight through. That's what Paul was preaching. And it got him driven out of towns and thrown into dungeons. And he bears these marks. He uses the same word for bear that Jesus uses when he says, bear your cross every day and follow me. What these marks did, they, they verified where his true Hope lied. His, his suffering authenticated his ministry. 
And, and Paul says, I, I'm content to be that to this world. I'm content to be a spectacle. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, the, the, the refuse of this earth because of Christ. Because my sense of hope and identity is in him and him alone. I was helping my uh, sister-in-law, Emily, and, and brother-in-law, Joey, move on Saturday and they, they were putting some of their stuff in a storage unit and Emily was telling me about a conversation that she had with the manager of the storage unit about people that have kept stuff there for years and years and years. I mean, we, 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 we need off-site storage for our extra stuff that we don't know what to do with because we have too much stuff that's in our homes. Um, and she talks about people who they, they would pay thousands of dollars to store things for years and eventually say, you know what? I don't really want it. You can have it. And never come and collect their things. You realize everything that you can gather in this life, all the stuff that you can accumulate, right, all the accomplishments, everything, if it's, if it's not a means of boasting in Christ, that's what will become of it. It'll be left behind. And honestly, if you're in Christ, you'll feel that way about it. Strangely, I, I don't want it anymore. I don't, I don't need it anymore. And what, what are you building for life today? Is it in things that will be left behind in the old creation? Because Paul says his hope is in a new creation. It's begun in Jesus, and now everything changes. Look at verse 15 again. Neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Neither one of these things count. They, they, they don't have any value. They, they don't have any purchase power, any significance. Neither one of them get you anywhere with God. Neither one of them get you any extra standing to what Jesus has already accomplished. Nothing that this flesh can produce matters. And so what might be considered good performance, right, circumcision, religious stuff, that doesn't earn you one bit with God, uh, nor does a lack of that threaten what you have with God. So he says, don't, don't be proud in your circumcision. Don't be proud in the fact that you're not circumcised. Don't be proud. In, some of you, if you think, you know, I, I'm theologically smart and I know, but we don't need that. Don't, then you're still looking to you. You look away from you. You look away from the fact that either you're circumcised or not, because that has no value. The only thing that matters is new creation. Neither count in what makes you verified before God. And, and neither one of them produce reality in the Christian's life, a real heart of love. But that's what a newly created heart does. And, and, and that phrase shows up in another place in Galatians, right? Galatians 6, 15, it's parallel with Galatians 5, 6, where Paul says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love, right? Only genuine faith in Christ, looking away from yourself, laying hold of him with empty hands, but that, that doesn't just stay inactive. 
It shows up when you're renewed, when you're transformed. It, it gets to work, and it looks like something. It looks like love. Only that lasts in the end. He's not talking about something that can be mimicked. He's not talking about behavior that you can just learn and start imitating. He's not talking about performance. This isn't just about acting in a Christian way. This is something sincere. There's a sincere love for God. Not efforts to earn something with God. There's a sincere love for others, not attempts to impress them or use them. Right? If, if you're trying to find something in you to make you acceptable either to God or to others, you won't have love. Because you'll either just be trying to pay God and work for him and you'll find his commands to be burdensome because you're, you're just on this hamster wheel of just trying to do the right thing and you're not really sure why. Or you'll try to find from people some, some, something that, that affirms you, something that makes you feel like you matter. And so, yeah, we're friends, but I'm, I'm in this with something I want back from you. And if I flatter you, you return the favor. If I respect you, you give me that as well. You know what doesn't happen then? is real love. Because you've got an agenda with what you want from them. What matters before God is not performance, but faith working through love. And, and this shows the reality of the new creation. This shows that you're alive. When you're alive, there's fruit. And, and it's inevitable. I've, I've heard this illustration of a man who was buried in the ground. He had died first. And uh, in his coffin, they had an acorn. And, and he was buried under a marble slab. And eventually that acorn began to, to grow and grow and grow and became a tree that cracked through the marble slab and over time became large and healthy. Right? That, that, that's a picture of what's happened in Christ. Our old self, there's real death that has taken place that has passed away, and there is real life that has begun and will show up if it's there, right? Pastor Peter has these little sayings that I think they're helpful. Uh, one that he's, he said for years is that the root produces the fruit. The root of faith, of being in relationship with God, produces the fruit of good works, and the fruit proves that the root is there. You guys know this, right? Galatians 5, 23. What, what does faith working through love look like? There's fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. And, and, and this list is, is not describing 
personality traits. It's not describing things that you can manage on your own, things that your flesh can produce. It's the fruit of the spirit. It's what God and God alone recreating your heart, renovating your internal reality so that you desire Jesus and you boast in him alone. This is what starts to show up in your life when that's true of you. Because listen, you know, you, you might be a, a gentle person. You know, you don't, you don't tend to mouth off to people. You don't tend to pick fights. You're easygoing. But that might be because you're timid. That might be because you're always afraid of confrontation. And you don't ever like difficult moments where there's disagreement. And so you don't speak up in those moments. And that's not the fruit of the Spirit. That's, that's something you can accomplish fully on your own in your flesh. Right? Or, or you might seem like you're a joyful person. You're just always a life of the party. You're really bubbly. You're really extroverted. Always have a happy face. Right? But, but you might not be faithful. You, you might not be someone who um, continues with your responsibilities and endures in difficult moments. You just like having fun. Okay? We love that. We love how God's designed you, but that's not the fruit of the Spirit. So e each one of these, right, I, I, I was going to bring this, but I, I, did, I, I thought my kids had more of that, like, fake plastic fruit, but I, I looked at it, it's like, what, what has happened here? I've got, like, an orange and an apple, and that's it, you know? But you know, like, the, the kitchen sets, right? So you got the plastic versions of that, which you could staple onto a tree. My, my orange tree in my backyard is a, a thorny citrus, and we've been in the house, I think, for four years, and it's not, not produced one orange for us. So I could, I could take my, you know, plastic fruit and staple it on and try to make it look like a tree, but that's not reality. So there's a, there's a fake version of each of these, and there, there's what the new creation does. And, and Timothy Keller gives this distinction. I'm drawn from his thoughts here. Love, love is a desire to serve somebody because they are loved by God and because of somebody's intrinsic value, not because of what they can bring. Right? The fake version of that is this selfish affection, this I'm going to show you love because I like what I can earn from you in the process. Joy, joy is a delight in God for the beauty of who he is, the worth of who he is, the, the happiness that he is yours. Right? It's the opposite of hopelessness. But the fake version of that, the counterfeit, is, is just this excitement that there's good stuff in your life. Life feels good right now. Circumstances are going your way. Right? People are happy when you're around, and so you're happy to be around. But that's temporary and doesn't last. It's rooted in blessings and not the blesser. Peace. Peace is a a confidence in God and his wisdom and his sovereign control over life. Counterfeit of that is cynicism. Or you, you can be at peace because you just don't care about stuff. And very little matters to you and so very little troubles you. Right? That's not the peace 
of God that surpasses understanding, that arrives in moments of need and settles your heart because you know he's at work. Have you experienced peace like that? This is the fruit that starts to show up when you are rooted in Christ and in the new creation. There's patience. Patience is an ability to face difficulty and trouble without blowing up. It's, it's, it's a forbearing with challenging people, with people who don't cooperate with you. But the opposite of it is, is resentment. The fake version of that is just apathy. I just don't care. I don't care about you, so you're not going to get much of a response out of me. Kindness is an ability to serve other people in, in ways that make us vulnerable. Its, its opposite is being jealous and envious of what they have. And by the way, if you read chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6, the church in Galatia was one that was marked by envy and comparison and Paul saying you're biting and devouring one another. What is that? that that's the fruit of the flesh. That's, that's, that's what happens when your confidence is located in anything other than Jesus. Suddenly you find that you're lacking and so you're in competition with everybody else. And so you'll have a fake version of kindness that looks like manipulation. It looks like I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. But it's not sincere sacrifice. Goodness means having integrity. It means being the same person in every situation. The, 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 the fake version of that, of kind of being honest, being who you are, is, uh, you know, I was just being honest. It's like you, you, you speak the truth, but there's no love. There's no concern for how that impacts other people. And it's not really about caring that for them or serving them. It's just about making you look good in the process. Faithfulness is, is being reliable, able to be counted on. You'll, you'll get the job done. They don't need to keep checking you. Your parents don't need to lead you through every task step by step to make sure that you're going to do it right. They can turn their back and your chores and your homework will be done because you're faithful to it. You're loyal to the people that are in your life when that is easy and rewarding and when you want to you, you wanna ghost them, you want to leave them behind. But you don't. You stick it out because you have courage to walk through difficulty. Right, the counterfeit of that is is being loving but never truthful. It's the opposite of the other one we talked about, right? This is, I'm, I'm never gonna challenge you, I'm never gonna be honest with you because I, I just like to en enjoy the fact that you like me and I don't ever wanna put that at risk. And so I'm only gonna say the things that you wanna say. Right, that's not real faithfulness in friendship, that's plastic fruit. Gentleness. Gentleness, Timothy Keller describes it as a, a humility, a self-forgetfulness. The, the counterfeit version of that is this, this sense of being inferior, and so I'm always going to just kind of sit back 
because I don't, I don't have courage in Jesus and what he's doing in me. So I'm just going to assume that if something needs to happen, somebody else will take care of it. If there's something difficult to do, somebody else is going to do that. And that's not real gentleness. That's just being a coward. <laughs> or that's just not stepping to the challenge of what's before you. Self-control is, is an ability to know what matters. And that's, that's where we began, right? It's prioritizing the right things. Knowing among all the options that are before you, how you should be using your time, where you should be spending your effort and your affections. It's the opposite of just indulging in anything that comes your way. The, the fake version of that is you're trying to be in control. And you, you look like you got self-control, but it's really just because you're trying to bring everybody else in line with your will and with your plan. And if they cross that, that's a problem for you. These are the marks of reality for the renewed heart. They, they are not what you can do. They're what the Holy Spirit produces, but they are things that you can grow in, right? And so this is, not a, this is not a shopping list. This isn't showing up at the grocery store and going in the produce section and try to see which of the fruit of the Spirit you want and which one you'd rather not have, right? They all come together. So, you know, if one's going to grow, the other ones are going to start to show up over time, not maybe not equally, because, again, we, ha- we all have our personality elements here. But these are the kinds of things that you should be seeing in your life increasingly. And you know, fruit, fruit gets to be enjoyed. Fruit gets to be enjoyed by other people. Fruit is there to be enjoyed by God and by those that are closest to us. And you know who should be seeing these kinds of things in your life? Is your family. Because that, that, that's where you really discover, is that just me having a certain personality that is easy for me to ma- manage when I'm around my friends and I don't blow up with them because I want them to still be my friend? But I, I seem to not have that kind of control over my anger when it's my brother involved or when it's my mom. Right? Your, your family and the people that are closest to you in your life the fruit of the Spirit is there for them to be able to see and enjoy. And so ask them, what do you see in me? Is there fruit? And, and if it's hard to discover these things, right, do the hard work of asking why. Because it's likely that you have located your boast in something other than Jesus Christ and you're, you're so anxious to have that. And that's why you retreat, or that's why you fight, or that's why you respond when somebody's crossed a line. That's why you get so upset when it looks like something's going to be taken away from you because that has become everything for you. The Apostle Paul says, far be it from me that I would boast in anything other than Jesus Christ and him crucified, by which I'm, the world's been crucified to me and I to the world. 
nothing else counts. Nothing else matters. Nothing else lasts. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this series. We thank you for this letter that you had this man pin and these words you had him write with his own hand that reaches us 2,000 years later and still speaks exactly to the kinds of things that we need. Or maybe it's not this weird thing called circumcision, but it runs right through our hearts as well. God, I just pray that you would lead us to see that, Lord, that we would take from this study a sure confidence in the sufficiency of Jesus. We would stop trying so hard to find something else to add to him and discover that he is enough and that a result of that would be growing fruitfulness in our lives, faith working through love in a thousand ways. But that's what counts in the end. That's what shows that we're real. It may be true of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, Saturday at 6, let me know if you're coming. Let me know if uh, one of your parents can drive as well. That'd be helpful. Thank you. Saturday.